0: Welcome to the Reimagine Medicine podcast. We explore topics that are shaping healthcare with specialists who are leading innovative change. In this episode, we will discuss the challenges of sending children back to school during a pandemic. I'm Dr. Johnny Lifschitz.
1: I'm Dr. Katie Bright.
0: And we're faculty members at the University of Arizona College of Medicine, Phoenix. Thank you for joining us.
1: It's great to have you with us.
0: The opinions expressed in this podcast
2: are those of the hosts and their guests, and do not represent the opinions of the University of Arizona College of Medicine, Phoenix, or Banner Health. Do not use this podcast for medical advice. Instead, consult your personal family physician for medical care.
1: Joining us today is Dr. Gary Kirkulis. Dr. Kirkulis is a pediatrician at Phoenix Children's Hospital and an assistant professor at the College of Medicine, Phoenix. He's also a father of three. He also operates the mobile health unit, a 40-foot medical RV that travels from shelter to shelter and underserved area to underserved area, providing free health care to homeless and disadvantaged youth in Phoenix. It's so great to have you here, Dr. Kirkulis. Um I think we're all living in this era of... New, you know, we're in a pandemic. All of us have our kiddos going back to school in a virtual world. Interestingly, I'm also a parent of three and so is Johnny. So we all have that in common. My first question is, um, and I'm sure you get this from your patients. What are you saying? When is it safe to go back to school, in your opinion, during a pandemic, if ever, and what metrics and guidelines do we use to determine this?
3: that's an, an excellent question and i think it's been on most parents minds it's been on most certainly politicians minds and um it, it, it is a hard question to answer but i think um relying on the experts in, in this situation is always is always the best strategy so the cdc has always maintained that uh, relying on indicators of community spread is the best indication of when you can safely return to school so when community spread is mild to moderate you can consider reopening schools when community spread is substantial, like we were experiencing here in Arizona in June and July, then that would that it couldn't be on the table. So um, I, yeah, I rely on the CDC's guidance. And I think um, in this, I think just in August, the Arizona Department of Health and the Arizona Department of Education came out with um, their safe return to school. And they had three metrics, and those three metrics uh, being uh, the decrease, two weeks of decreased overall cases, um, positive percent less than seven percent, as well as uh, less than 10% of hospital uh, visits for COVID-like illness. Um, and th- those, are, th- those are three good metrics. Um, I'm no epidemiologist, uh, far from it, but I think those are really good uh, metrics to show uh, what our community spread is like. And I think if right now, if you actually go on the, A- the Arizona Department of Health uh, website, it, it takes some time, but you can, you can parse through the details. And actually, I think uh, as of this week, we have actually met all three metrics.
0: You talk about the, uh, the different metrics and how neither one of us or any of us are epidemiologists, but what we really are is the um, applicants. We apply that epidemiological data, not only with our own kids, but when advising others. And the, probably the more easy way to apply it is for those individuals or those families that have a single child. But if we think about some of the, the populations that you're specifically serving, they could have a, a child in preschool, one in middle school, and one in high school. And are, should we be applying the same metrics across the board?
3: That's another good question. We know that, uh, well, at least the initial studies have shown that children under 10 don't appear to be super spreaders. So there has been some talk of, um, do we need different metrics for kids that are under 10? Um, and I think there's some, some, there's some value in that. I don't think that has been uh, placed on the table, at least for Arizona. I think it's going to be an all or nothing that once those three metrics are, are in place, uh, they'll reopen schools. Um, but in, in addition to that, I think, you know, those three metrics say a lot about community spread, but I think they, you know, they don't say anything about whether schools are ready to accept children. So mm. are, are schools, are they employing tactics to uh, mitigate viral spread? So that's, that's, a, that's another discussion altogether. Um, just because community spread is is minimal and allowing children to go back, is your specific school allowing you to uh, safely send your kids there? Are they gonna be cohorting? Are they gonna be masking? What sort of social distancing, contact tracing, things like that?
0: The risks and benefits are exactly what you said They're there. The, the spread, not only within the classroom, but then those additional contacts that come about. But the question comes up about socialization. You know, there's only so much you can get from a two-dimensional interaction, um, not to mention probably ear infections from headphones and needing glasses and exercise and all that. Um, How do you talk to your patients about socialization, the need and the risks in that regard?
3: Yeah, and it, I think I think the the old adage, uh, absence makes the heart grow fonder, is really ap- applicable right now, because I think a lot of parents and kids themselves are really missing school, and, it, and, it, and traditionally, kids don't like school, right? And I think it's kind of odd to see, you know, teenagers and grade school kids clamoring to go back to school, and I think it, it really brings to light the fact that school is not just a place where kids are learning to read and learning grammar and science. It's a place. Place where social and emotional development takes place, and those are really important factors, um, and, and, and very important for, for children's development. Um, and that's that's an obvious benefit that kids will miss out miss out on if they're not in present in school. Um, and you have to balance that with the personal safety of, of children going back to school. I mean, the the benefits are clear. Uh, being in in-person school is is the best way to learn. Um, I think some experts are predicting that there's going to be a when kids return to school this fall, they're going to have a thirty percent reduction in the expected progression in reading and a fifty percent reduction in the, in the expected progression in math. So the the results are both are showing that being in school is 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 is, is ideal. Uh, Them being not in school is going to have reductions on uh, their their progression in in school, and then they're going to miss out on those socialization factors.
1: That's interesting. I'm glad you brought up the um, other impacts, but I'm I'm thinking a lot about what you said about ages too, because I know that for my high schooler and my middle schooler, it is, you know seeing their friends is kind of like their life at this age. So it's super impactful. And I I hope later we'll have a chance to talk a little more about what you mentioned about the possible long-term adverse effects of being behind. And I'm thinking about your population in particular with kids who are already behind and -hmm. the challenges they have increased challenges um, and that the chasm, the chasm as it continues to expand. Thank you for sharing your insights, Dr. Kirkalis. We have to take a break, but we will continue our discussion in a minute.
2: The Reimagined Medicine podcast is brought to you by the University of Arizona, College of Medicine, Phoenix. Dr. Johnny Lifschitz serves as the director of the Translational Neurotrauma Research Program, which is a joint venture through Barrow Neurological Institute at Phoenix Children's Hospital and the Department of Child Health at the University of Arizona, College of Medicine, Phoenix, and the Phoenix Veterans Affairs Healthcare System. Dr. Katie Bright is the Chair of the Curriculum Committee and Associate Dean of Clinical and Competency-Based Education at the University of Arizona College of Medicine, Phoenix. She is a family physician practicing at Bayless
0: Integrated Healthcare. Welcome back to the Reimagined Medicine podcast. We're talking about Back to School with Dr. Gary Kirkulis. Dr. Kirkulis, we've talked about the idea of uh, or the risks of going back to school. We've talked about the fact that uh, socialization is really important, but the reality is right now all of our kids are in school, so to speak, or at least attending coursework uh, digitally through virtual um, means. That being said, uh, one of the biggest issues I worry about, and we, we saw it happen with the first week of school this year is when Zoom crashed and all the, uh, the college students hopped onto Zoom. Um, but that's more of a network-based issue. What are you seeing in terms of access to technology and not just the technology, the electricity to charge it as well as the internet service to run it? Um, is this also gonna con- contribute to the, um, the lack of interest in going to school or the ability to engage with schoolwork? Or is it gonna level the playing fields?
3: Well, yeah, you know, specifically uh, for the underserved populations, back in May, I was visiting uh, one of our family shelters delivering, um, we have, we get a lot of uh, donations. So in May I was there and and while I was delivering these donations, I was just polling the the parents that were at this family uh, shelter about what their experience was like with remote learning because I was curious. And some of the parents would say things like, our school district doesn't have remote learning. It wasn't able to, to get it up and running in time. Other parents said they, they, there was a remote learning option, um, but they simply did not have laptops or high-speed internet. I mean, they are homeless after all, so that's not gonna be a likelihood that they're gonna have that. In the families that did, that were lucky enough to have um, a laptop or they were able to use a family shelter's um, internet connection, they said they didn't have time to sit, you know, dedicate six hours to be with their children. I mean, the typical family, if you can kind of imagine that's going to be in a homeless shelter, it might be a single mom with three children, and they might be all under the age of seven. What's the likelihood that moms would be able to dedicate six hours um, in order to homeschool her her child? It's unlikely. So I think with remote learning, you're definitely going to see that uh, disadvantaged populations are going to get hit pretty hard. And I think Really is can go for all populations, no matter what your social economic status is. I mean, even um, in in my household, um, with my wife, she was trying to homeschool our our kindergartner, and she was beside herself. It was really difficult. She was suddenly thrust into the position of being a a homeschool teacher. And 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 you would think that you know I'm a pediatrician, my wife is also a pediatrician as well. You'd think we'd be able to handle it pretty easily, but it's it was difficult. So um, I I really feel for parents in in this situation.
0: And the teachers themselves. I mean, it puts in a whole new light, not just uh, frontline service workers, but shows the value of those teachers and what they've dedicated yep. themselves to. I know I personally couldn't stay home and educate my kids, mm-hmm. uh, at least according to a rubric and a metric. Yep.
1: <laughs> I, I often think about the teachers in those much younger ages, like you described, Dr. Kirklis, like preschool and kindergarten and first graders online. I can't even imagine. What that curriculum would even look like trying to do that without the human contact. Yeah,
3: I think, you know, I think, I don't know how true this is, but they, they say you, uh, a child's attention span is roughly the number of minutes of their age. So, you know, if you have a, a three year old and, and you sit them down and say, hey, you're going to do this, work, this worksheet and it takes five minutes to do, it, it's, it's just not going to happen. You need someone to be there to redirect them and change things up, someone that's dedicated to their, their learning process.
1: So I'm curious, one of our, um, in our district, we have a a diverse district and we do have access for underserved kiddos to come socially distanced and work um, using the school district's Wi-Fi. I know that the Boys and Girls Club is now a resource for families where they can drop their kiddos off if they're essential workers and have no other option and, and you know, need to. Uh, do you guys have anything like that that you have through PCH, like a resource guide or anything that we might be able to share with our listeners?
3: Yeah, I'm, not, I'm not aware of anything currently, but that, that, that would be an, an ideal situation because there you eliminate the problem with connectivity. Um, you do not, uh, you're still not having a structured learning environment. You know, you're having I was actually on a phone call with the director of DCS, and he was talking about how some of his group uh, group home uh, teenagers were at in one of those facilities where they're doing remote learning, but they were actually in the high school. And a lot of them were getting, were being asked to leave just because they're not used, they need that structured environment. So I think it, it does solve some problems, but it does, um, it's not quite perfect.
0: Yeah, as you're talking, I'm thinking about another component, which is as we look several years into the future about how our children uh, self-separate, there might be independence versus dependence uh, separation. uh, Without a doubt, there's a subset of kids that may thrive in this environment Mm -hmm. in terms of uh, independent and uh, internal motivations uh, versus those that do require much more structured and regimented type of... Um, environment to succeed and uh it, it's it it 's something none of us have any experience with um, so how does it feel for you as a frontline pediatrician where people are actively seeking your advice where there's no, there's no literature to go to you know you we're essentially making it up as we go um, are you, are you confident in your own abilities to interpret the data?
3: You know, to be, to be perfectly honest, I've never had to read and research so much in, in my entire career as I do now. You know, I, I get parents asking me, uh, what's the role of asymptomatic spread? And I, I have to do Google searches on a daily basis. And, and a lot of times it, 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 I come up with, you know, well, in theory, it's possible, but the research doesn't suggest that it, it's it, it's uh, happening on a, a high level. So a lot of those sort of um, hedging answers uh, comes out of my mouth frequently which is unfortunate because you know as a pediatrician you want to give solid advice to, to your parents and unfortunately you just can't but um, it, it sort of the, the the silver lining is is that when you're dealing with such unknowns you are forced to educate yourself and I think I, I feel like I'm a better pediatrician because of it um, both in understanding the science and then also um, really understanding what's what's circulating what, what's what's what are the hot topics in social media circles? What are parents worried about? Um, and, and, and by doing that, I'm able to answer those questions questions better.
1: I yeah. think that, I'm uh, sorry, Johnny, I- I think that there aren't many silver linings in a pandemic but you you hit the nail on the head with one of them I think honing our evidence-based medicine lifelong skills of we're all learning together uh, and also the technology aspect I mean I know that zoom and this two-dimensional way to connect is not uh, ideal but it's I mean 10 years ago if we had a pandemic we wouldn't have had even this as well as telemedicine so there are a few if you dig deep there's a few silver linings I think always that you can kind of grasp
0: and katie you bring up an important point about telemedicine and we introduced dr kirkulis as the rv medical (laughs) deliverer Um, have you been able to serve the population that you would traditionally serve with an rv through telemedicine or is it the same access to technology as well as internet that uh, prevents that from happening
3: yeah, we're witnessing this the same issues. Um, yeah, the, my, my patient um, lists have drastically decreased. And again, it's the same issues. They don't have access to um, internet sources or, or laptops and things like that. Some of them are able to, in some of the group homes and shelters that have access to computer labs, we're able to connect with them that way. Um, that took a lot of like planning and, and, and such. So um, yeah, we're still experiencing Drastic decreases on how many people were able to see and it, it's kind of funny because so, sort of the, the idea of street medicine is that when you're dealing with disadvantaged communities. Um, who have barriers to access healthcare that you physically bring the healthcare to them by using things like uh, medical RVs um, and then with the same idea, you know, use telehealth to uh, To access your patients, but um, there always seems to be a barrier that comes up. You never thought about so
0: So as we think about where individuals need to be or where they are and meeting them there with healthcare as well as with education, um, one of the things that uh, my wife and I have found works well with our kids is talking to them about their own acceptance of risk and whether or not they are comfortable knowing what they know from their friends, from social media, from the news and from us, if they're comfortable, going into that situation, that situation, whether it's healthcare or school. Um, what do you see, uh, Dr. Kerkulis, in terms of your patients and their engagement with their children, you know, giving them that, uh, that authority to make decisions for where they wanna be?
3: Hmm. Yeah, I think that, I mean, it, it, it would work well for adolescents. Um, right. But at the same time, you know, adolescents are in this this period where they're they're separating from their parents, so they're they're trying to err on the side of removing themselves from the guardianship of of their parents. So um, I, I think if you ask the typical adolescent, they're going to you know, their prefrontal cortex isn't the best at judging risk. So I I, I don't know if I would I think I would hesitate on making a final decision based on my my adolescent's decision on risk assessment. Um, in, 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 in sort of in a more global answer, most of my uh, my patients being in the underserved population, it, it's not a really question. It's like you know, they are uh, essential workers. they're in the service industry. They, they they need to be at work and their children need to be somewhere. Um, so they just go. so
1: and And for the parents who for the parents who are concerned and scared and nervous and just you know, I think all parents are trying to do what's best for their kids and trying to do obviously the right thing. Sometimes they're nervous and I'll do a lot of triaging with my patients, even by phone or I'll be getting texts of big rashes or here's my kiddo's throat. That was one that came in last night. What do you think? Um, what, what is your advice for when, when it's like, you know what, you're sick, you need to seek health care and it's okay versus, you know, you don't want to be in the ER right now because we're in this big pandemic surge.
3: Yeah, I, you know, I, I tend to treat... COVID the similar way uh, that I would treat any viral illness, you know, um, and, and I fully understand that they, they are two different breeds. Um, but you know, in, in, if you know, I have a parent who says, you know, my child has runny nose, cough, fever, I would treat it the same. You do not go to school just like you wouldn't go to school with a common cold. Um, and then to be just employ watchful waiting to see if any of those symptoms more worrisome symptoms like shortness of breath occur. I think if you if you play that strategy, um, you're you're it'll be the answer to most questions. Um, do, I, do I encourage the getting testing? Absolutely, I mean, if, if that knowledge is, is a great power and helps with quarantine purposes too. Um, I do always uh, advocate for uh, children making their visits to their pediatrician for vaccines. Um, we're anticipating that this flu season might be pretty bad with the vaccination rates plummeting. And you know the last thing you want is like a uh, epidemic of measles or flu, while you're dealing with the pandemic of coronavirus, so I, I always advocate for well checks. Um, and but I, I do sparingly recommend going to the emergency room. Uh, I don't want a parent to go there and get something worse than what they came with. Um, so if it's something like shortness of breath, I'll definitely recommend them going in uh, to the emergency room. But if it's something mild, uh, symptoms, um, stay at home. They can of course visit their pediatrician. I think most uh, pediatric offices are employing a lot of strategies for viral mitigation. Mm -hmm. Most places are either um, separating well checks from sick visits either by location. So certain locations will only do well checks, certain locations will only do sick visits, or they separate them by time. So here at Phoenix Children's, we do um, all well checks in the morning, and then in the afternoon, it's it's sick visits. So parents can be assured that their likelihood of uh, getting something is is minimized.
1: That's exactly what we're doing at at my practice. We're doing a Pre, the day before screening, and it's a whole day of well-child well exams. Uh, and we are still seeing a lot of people that are hesitant. And uh, I do predict what you said, some of the vaccines will probably slip, which is definitely a bummer. But yeah. yeah, I think that's a good message that the offices are also aware of the CDC guidelines and they're being super safe, as safe yeah. as can possibly be. you can possibly be during this pandemic. So definitely not to avoid the preventive. Uh, measures that are so important. Great. Well, thank you so much. Um, we, We were so happy to have you, Dr. Kirkless. Thank you for sharing your knowledge and your insight and your work with us. It's been such a pleasure talking with you.
3: Well, thank you for having me.
0: Thank you for joining us. It's been a pleasure talking with you.
1: What an enjoyable and interesting discussion with Dr. Kirkulis. It's really uh, it's really informative to hear how he's doing it, especially on the front lines and serving underserved communities. I think for me, one of the most important themes is, you know, this is new for all of us and we're learning together. And uh, nobody knows all the answers. It changes week by week. And you know what? We wanna keep our kiddos safe. That's a that's a universal theme. And sometimes, sometimes that's, you know, we have to stay home. We know that we wanna keep our kids safe, but for some of our patients, patients and their parents and the situations they're in. It's its not possible. They're essential workers. And then it's about trying to find the safest alternative options for your kids.
0: Yeah, I really like the way Dr. Kirkulis talked about his own children, his pediatrics practice, and then his social service or reaching out to the community and how uh, the same themes percolate throughout all three. However, each have different uh, challenges. And uh, we need to just step back every once in a while or actually all the time and recognize that each family and each uh, decision making unit, depending on on who's involved, are challenged in ways that we may actually take for granted. Uh, And what we see as challenges aren't even on the radar for other people. Um, but Dr. Kerkulis gave us a, a real knowledge nugget when he said he had to dive back into the literature, all different types of literature, to uh, gather that evidence. And so, um, as you said, Katie, this is a evolving field that is a moving target, and we just need to be up to date and cross-reference all of our information so we can make informed decisions.
1: You know, being a parent is, is super hard already, doing it in a pandemic is, you know, can't get any harder than that. So I love what you just said, Johnny, we're all in it together and learning together. It's a, it's an ongoing process.
0: Without a doubt. And everybody is doing the best that they can by reaching into their own uh, local networks and to services provided. We heard about potentially the Boys and Girls Club, or even schools that are providing other services. And those that uh, need to use them, it's okay. And those that are capable and able to keep their kids at home, that's okay, that we're going to get through this. Um, and also, we're going to recognize that some of our kids are going to thrive in this environment and others may fall behind. Mm-hmm. And that as soon as some of these restrictions and the, the risks are mitigated, we'll provide new services and new ways to move forward. And we need to encourage all of our listeners to, um, to take care of themselves um We talk about this often on this podcast, mental and physical and mm-hmm. social health absolutely and so Katie, as is always the case, would love to continue to talk with you. Um, we can go on for for hours but that's not the case. Uh, I can say that I'm glad to be back. And uh, off air, we were talking about how glad you were to be back also after this virus hiatus. Uh, Want to let everybody know that we have a great lineup of topics about people and society and diseases coming up. And Katie, we're out of time. So lift shits out like a well functioning GI system.
1: Bright out like a good night's sleep.
2: The Reimagined Medicine Podcast is brought to you by the University of Arizona College of Medicine, Phoenix. Join us again as we highlight aspects of clinical care, education, and research in an ongoing endeavor to reimagine medicine. Our podcast team is Dr. Katie Bright, Dr. Johnny Lifschitz, Beth Smith, and the media production team at the UA College of Medicine, Phoenix. Our theme song, Dungeon of Return Days, was written and recorded by Midair Machine, the song is accessible on freemusicarchive.org and used under the CC BYSA 4.0 license.